Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again to the podcast. This is Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor. And today I want to share with you a message called The Baptism of Jesus. The Baptism of Jesus. Please turn in your Bibles, if you're at home, to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. If you're driving, just follow along or or listen as we read through this together. We've been digging in this uh, in this chapter in Matthew for three weeks now, and I hope you've picked up some nuggets of truth along the way. Today we're, we're landing on the part of the story where Jesus is going to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now follow along as I read Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 then uh, through 17. And then we'll come back and we'll we'll dissect, dissect this and cut it up and, and see what we can glean from it. Here's what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All right, let's pick this apart a little bit. Jesus had come from Galilee to the Jordan River. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the life of Jesus from age, you know, two and a half to 30. We know his family traveled to observe special days. We know that he was left in Jerusalem. He was at the temple when he was age 12. His parents came back and found him in, in the temple. And so we assume that up until this point in, in his life, he had a relative normal quiet life. He grew up and worked in Nazareth, which was located in southern Galilee. Just Galilee is just above Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem. So we know that John was baptizing in the Jordan, right? That's north of the Dead Sea and east of the Jericho. This means that Jesus wasn't close to his home when he was baptized. Verse 13 says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan uh, to John to be baptized by him. Now, if you're if you're uh, familiar with the roads in our area, let me just tell you: if you leave the church and go south on 321 towards York and take that bypass, you know, go go past the York High School and then turn left on 161 and drive through Newport through Rock Hill and get on the Interstate 77 North. And if you take that interstate and drive all the way through Charlotte and take Interstate 85 North and go all the way up to Concord Mills, you've driven in about an hour, an hour and 10 minutes and and over 55 miles of roads. Now, if you add about 15 more miles to that, you realize how far Jesus walked. Jesus walked over 70 miles, the equivalent to almost three marathons. To say the baptism of Jesus was an important major milestone in his life is ludicrous. I mean, Jesus must have viewed his baptism with with the utmost 
importance. Why else travel 70 plus miles to be dunked in the Jordan River by this wild man, right? So the kicker is that once Jesus arrived there, he showed up on the scene. John didn't want to baptize him. Look at verse 14. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? He didn't want to baptize Jesus. He, why was he so reluctant to baptize Jesus? Well, well, think about why he was baptizing. I told you John was baptizing as a sign of repentance, right? So the people that were coming to John for baptism were watching or being baptizing, watching others being baptized, uh, confessing their sins, turning from their sins. Now, how did John describe Jesus? Well, in the Apostle John's account of this story, John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, Jesus was sinless, spotless. He was perfect. And John didn't want to baptize Jesus because he knew that Jesus had nothing to confess. To baptize him would give the wrong idea of Jesus. Someone might actually think that he's a sinner. John wasn't going to have that on his conscience. He must protect the reputation of Jesus. And on top of that, John was a, a humble man. He knew that Jesus should be baptizing him. He was the sinner, not the other way around. Now, this leads me to make application number one. Jesus doesn't need you to protect his reputation. Listen, Jesus is God. God can take care of himself. You simply do what he's asked you to do or commanded you to do and let him explain to the world if he wants to explain to the world. I, I used to want to give Clover the idea that, that we had a, a top-notch youth ministry at FBC Clover, that, that we had a, good, uh, a, gr a, a group of good, clean Christian students. If you came to our JJ's, our Wednesday night activity, I wanted you to find it to be a safe place a clean environment. And that sounds okay, right? But it had diluted my thinking. I, I guess I really came to the point that I thought that if you would come here, our spiritual awesomeness would be a testimony enough to cause you to want to be saved and, and to join our life in our little holy bubble. I, I didn't want the church and I didn't want God to get a, a bad reputation. Listen, about halfway through my tenure... I realized as hard as I tried to give off that spiritual aura of, of righteousness and cleanness, I, I was failing. I was failing. I had heard that the detention table over at Kynard Elementary was called the First Baptist Table because it was full of kids who went to our church. And when I heard that, something clicked. It just clicked inside of me. And so the, the workers and I, we began to pray that God would send us the hurting Send us the confused and the friendless. And not only that, I remember praying on that Wednesday night. I remember praying, God, send us the liars, the homosexuals, the druggies. Send us the lost, God. And he did. He did. It got to the point where we had so many teenagers here. We, we had trouble, trouble keeping them uh, controlled. I mean, they were having a great time. And, and they were pride, pride Primarily lost people. Lost people were inviting lost people. I could hear them say, there's this short dude up there who told me I was living in sin for choosing this lifestyle. He shot straight with me, but then he hugged me and he gave me some food and told me to come back next week. And God was sending huge numbers of lost people to us. And many of them were saved on those Wednesday nights. Lord, send us the lost 
should be our cry. Let's forget their reputation. This is not only a refuge for the saved, it's a hospital for the lost. Whatever reputation that God uh, you know, receives from that or whatever reputation is assigned to his church by a lost society, he's big, on the, he's, he's big enough to handle that. Jesus doesn't need us to protect his reputation. Now look at verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John went through with this baptism. It took a little bit. Jesus had to talk him into it, but he went through with it because Jesus told him that he had to be baptized for righteousness sake. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't his own. No way. Jesus was perfect. He was speaking of our righteousness. Think about it. Why was Jesus baptized? I want to give you four reasons why Jesus was baptized. Really quickly, listen now. Number one, he had to identify with sinners. He had to identify with sinners. Now, sinners deserve to die. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. And the first part of baptism is a picture of death. That's why, that's why the scripture says we are buried with him in baptism. So he had to identify with us. There was death that was required for sin. Secondly, he insisted on baptism to, to symbolize the substitution he would make for sinners. He didn't deserve to die. He was sinless, right? We deserve to die. We have sinned. He was showing lost people that he was willing to die and not just die, but to die in their place. Substitution is such a big part of the gospel. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and verse 21. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. His baptism then would symbolize the substitution that he would make for sinners. We deserve to, to die and be buried. He got in the waters to say, I'm willing to die and be buried for you. So thirdly, Jesus insisted on baptism to offer a thesis statement, if you will, to his ministry. Now, Rasmussen University defines a thesis statement this way. Uh, a thesis statement clearly identifies the topic being discussed. It includes the points discussed in the paper and is written for a specific audience. Your thesis statement belongs at the end of your first paragraph, also known as your introduction. Use it to generate interest in your topic and encourage your audience to continue reading. Now, if the Gospel of Matthew is a paper detailing the ministry of Christ, then this baptism, his baptism can serve as a thesis statement for the entire gospel, the entire book. Jesus would live among his people, he would die for their sins, and he would be raised from the dead, proving that he that he would offer us eternal life and that we would receive it in him. That's what baptism portrays, his death, his burial, his resurrection, a real, a, a perfect real life thesis statement. Fourthly, Jesus insisted on baptism to set an example for believers. Jesus knew, he knew before he ever took on flesh that, that lost people would have to identify with him in order to be saved and to live out their Christian lives. This theme of 
of identifying with Christ is repeated over and over and over in the New Testament. Let me just share with you some of the verses. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen to Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. We're identifying with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Listen to Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Listen to Romans 6, 4. We are buried therefore with him by baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Can you see how we are intended to identify with Christ. Listen to Philippians 3.10, that I know him and the power of the erection and may share his sufferings becoming like him unto death. We are continually identifying, becoming more like him. Why? Listen to why. Romans 6.5, if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus knew that he was setting an example for the kind of life that we would have to follow, one that would identify with him. So he lived and identified with us so that we might in turn identify and live with him. So let's review. Why was Jesus baptized? To identify with sinners, to symbolize the substitution he would make for sinners, to offer a thesis statement to his ministry, and to set an example for believers. And John didn't want to do it, but Jesus said it was necessary for the sake of righteousness for believers. Now that leads me to application number two. You never need to question the actions of Jesus. Things do not have to make sense in your mind to be of the Lord. We we Americans like everything to be neat and and tidy and then their cubby their organizer where where we can see and understand the various aspects of our lives you know uh, we want to do that individually now, i'm not talking about your house the average american house does not um does not symbolize this the average american house looks like a tornado picked up a a laundromat and a, a cafeteria kitchen and a restaurant supply store and spun them around a bit and dropped them in your living room. I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about the organization of your life. Our job goes in one box, our hobby in another, our family in another, our faith in another, and so on and so on. As long as we keep these separated and uncluttered, cluttered, we, we think we're fine. We think we're fine. We think we're in control and we're even living a pleasing lives to God. But the truth is, we could be kidding ourselves. The Christian life is messy. It will not be limited to a cubby. Look, our, our faith is intended to affect and direct our lives in, in all of those cubbies, in all of those areas. You're intended to share faith at work, model faith with your family, to live faithfully in, while you're doing your hobbies. Well, What's the point, Mike? Well, sometimes God calls you to do something to show faith at work or school that doesn't seem to fit that part of your life. For example, he might say, you know, I know you're going to play golf tomorrow. I want you to take that lost neighbor with you and share the gospel. And we would respond, what? What? I want to hang out with him. That's supposed to happen at church. That goes in the church cubby. Well, no, no, it doesn't. 
That neighbor maybe won't step foot in a church. He might have been hurt by a church when he was a child, and he needs to hear Jesus from you, and this is how God is going to do it. We are never to question the commands of Christ. His timing, his his placement, his actions, his decisions, his commands, all of them are perfect. They're all perfect. So we never need question the actions or the demands of Christ. Now, we need to move on. So let's reread verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now remember, Jesus walked 70 miles to be baptized. John wouldn't do it. Jesus had to talk him into it for the sake of righteousness. John went through it. How did God react? How did God react? Well, the skies opened. A dove landed on Jesus and an audible voice said that that God was pleased with his son, Jesus. What a what a special beginning to the ministry of of Christ. It's it's really quite powerful if you think about it. Look, Jesus was 30 years old. That was the the generally acceptable age when a priest could begin to serve in the temple. It was time for Jesus to come into the the come come into his ministry scene, if you will, in a very big way and no other setting could have been larger. I mean, think about it. The, the cosmological anomaly of the splitting sky, the, the divine manifestation of the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove, and, and the actual auditory uh, voice, the proof for God's existence and approval of God, all point to the fact that this was a huge occasion. Jesus is the real deal. He is God's Son. And this very first act to begin His ministry is huge. It was in this exact moment when we see the complete Trinity. We, we see all, all three of the Godhead at once. This rarely, if, if ever, happened. I'm not sure it ever happened before. God the Father was speaking. God the Spirit was descending. And God the Son was on earth identifying with us. You talk about an all-in experience. This baptism was all-in for the Godhead. When Christ was baptized for identification with sinful man, the whole Trinity was present and cheering. What a moment. What a moment. Now that brings me to my final application. Application number three is you should publicly identify with Christ. Now you have to hear me here. If the whole of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit was pleased to publicly identify with you what is so powerful in your life to successfully keep you from publicly identifying with Him. If Jesus insisted and the Spirit flew in and the Father approved audibly when Jesus identified with with us in baptism, what is so powerful to keep you from identifying with Him every single second of every single day? To suppress uh, faith discussions at work to ignore, you know, faith sh- uh, sharpening or shaping moments in in your in your hobby group to ignore the power of faith in your school and to keep faith moments out of your family life is to say that God just went a little overboard that day when Jesus identified with me. Well, who are you to avoid publicly identifying with Christ when the complete Godhead? publicly approved of Christ identifying with you. 
That is, that is the epitome of arrogance. That's the epitome of, of a lack of gratitude. That is egregious sin. I echo the words of Christ. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be visible. Repent and publicly be identified with the Savior of your soul. Look, listen to me. Listen. Jesus didn't give his life for yours, and the angels do not rejoice over your salvation so that you can hide in ministry, escaping persecution, continuing to, to live pointless aimless lives. You were saved on purpose. Listen, he loved you publicly. You should return the act and love Christ enough to publicly identify with him. And if that's not warning enough, listen to Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father is who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father who is in heaven. I urge you, acknowledge Christ. Acknowledge Christ through baptism. Acknowledge Christ at work, in your home, in your school, in the sphere of your hobby group. And eventually, if you do that, eventually a similar response will be heard from God from heaven when you arrive. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. We must identify with Christ and identify with him publicly. That is the beauty of baptism. We are publicly identifying with the thesis statement of Christ. He lived, he died, and he rose again. And we died to the way that we used to live. We will live the way that he wants us to live and we will live with him for eternity. We are publicly identifying with Christ. Do you do you publicly identify with Christ? Is, can it be said of you that that is a man who, who patterns his life after Jesus? That is a guy who, who tries his best to, to exhibit the aspects of Christ in every area of his life. Is that being said about you? If not, examine your life. Ask God. Ask God to give you the boldness and the courage to publicly identify with him every second of every day. Well, I hope that is a challenge enough for you today. And I hope you're blessed by this word. You know that Christ identified with you. He loves you. He's pro you. He is pro you. Don't forget that. Well, until we come back again next week, I hope you have a great week. And I hope the Lord blesses you. Contact me if you have questions or you just want to tell me something. Mike at fbcclover.com. Be glad to enter into a, an email conversation with you. Until then, have a great day. And remember, remember, God is pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.